Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 16. Before we read the scripture, I just want to welcome again our visitors. If uh, it's your first time here at Quinesset, uh, we're glad you're here. It's a standing invitation. You can always come back. We look forward to seeing you, and if we can help you in any way, uh, that is our desire. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haunty or proud eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Father, may your book come alive to us, and we thank you that the resident author is within us, and we ask that he would teach us, and that we would see pride perhaps like we've never seen it before. We'd see it from your perspective, And we thank you that you are such a loving God and the grace in Christ is sufficient to even deal with our pride. And so, Lord, we thank you again for the evening in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, just for the sake of our visitors as well, as just remind you, we've been working our way through the book of Proverbs. Uh, We've been doing that thematically, uh, identifying the various themes that unfold within the book, uh, the wisdom book uh, that teaches us how to live in a very unwise world. Uh, We've started out uh, with the dominant theme in the scripture, uh, which uh, also is included in Proverbs, in the fear of the Lord. So we studied the fear of the Lord for a few weeks, and then we moved into another dominant theme, uh, which is in Proverbs, and that is the tongue. We looked at the weapon of the tongue, and how our speech um, is certainly something that you must keep, uh, keep, keep a handle on in regards to our walk with the Lord and our testimony. So we spent some time looking at our speech, And now we've moved into the third topic that unfolds in Proverbs, and that is pride. Pride. Um, Pride is, uh, it appears, uh, at least ten times in its different um, words in the book of Proverbs. Uh, Pride is never viewed in Proverbs as a good thing. Paul would mention pride in a very narrow, positive sense in his letter to the Corinthians, but he always linked pride with boasting in the Lord and not in himself. Now, we began looking at pride in Proverbs, and we defined it. We defined it. And pride, in its basic rudimentary definition, it's having a very warped understanding of who you are. It is having an opinion of yourself that lacks biblical substance. It exalts oneself. It's a swelling up of oneself. It is an unhealthy, elevated view of yourself. Then we also looked at pride, how it was illustrated in the Scripture in various people. We saw a, um, a good example of how God swiftly and severely deals with pride, and that was in Nebuchadnezzar. We saw that he was a king one day, um, feasting on all the, uh, the benefits of royalty, and the next day he's in a beast. He's like a beast in the wilderness because of pride. We also note Peter. Peter, who was um, a man of pride, and he didn't really realize the depth of his depravity, uh, hence the denial, and in his repentance, he was made aware of the evil of pride. So he had a good ending as well as Nebuchadnezzar. We also looked at the, the bad ending of Herod. Herod who exalted himself, and the Lord struck him dead. Then we also, last week, we looked at the bad fruit of pride. Well, what are some of the fruits that come forth from pride? And we noted four things. First is that pride created the devil. 
pride created the devil. In Ezekiel chapter 28, we won't read that. In Isaiah 14, we won't read that. But basically what we see pride produced within the devil that created the devil was number one, he boasted of something that he did not do. He boasted of his own creation. The Ezekiel passage says that he boasted of his beauty. He was proud of his beauty. That's something that uh, is, is subtle about pride. It will, it will deceive you into thinking that you're a self-made man or a self-made woman. Uh, there is no such thing. And so the devil boasted of his creation as if he created himself. The second thing that uh, pride did to be, that the devil became the devil was uh, it produced within him the sin of discontent. Uh, that is certainly what pride will do in the life of anyone, is that it will fuel within you a discontent. And it's a discontentment with the sovereignty of God as well as the goodness of God in your life. Five times in Isaiah, the devil would say, I will, I will, I will. And God says, no, you will not. And thus he becomes the devil. The second fruit that we saw that pride produces in, in, in the person is sinful independence. We saw in the very beginning of Genesis, in the, in the account of the fall, it really was a prideful thing where the devil tempted them to be like God, which is exactly what he tried to do in the Isaiah passage, and thus they fell. It produced a sinful independence, and what we could basically say about the fall uh, in, gar- in, in Genesis 3, and what we can basically say about humanity ever since, is that it's a breach of the created order. It's a breach of the created order. We were created to be dependent, as I mentioned this morning, not independent, and so pride produced that. The third thing that we saw by way of fruit was pride robs God of his glory. It robs God of his glory. Within every one of us is a little glory hound that wants to get a little credit when things are done or God would even use us. And what pride has done in the fall, and thus ever since, in every human being born is pride has, has taken us from being what we were created for is to be glory reflectors to glory seekers. And that's the ugliness of pride, is it draws attention upon oneself. Instead of being a reflector as an image bearer of God, His glory, we become glory seekers, and He has made it very clear, my glory I will share with no one. And the fourth fruit we saw in pride was that it's the chief tactic Satan uses against believers. We are warned in 1 Timothy 3 not to promote a man in a position of leadership. Uh, If he's a novice, at least he'd be puffed up with pride. And I would extend that to say, and we'll mention that tonight, is that pride is the chief tactic of the devil against believers because every single relational tension and every fractured relationship can be traced back to pride. Because when there's pride present in any relationship, there will not be forgiveness. There will not be reconciliation. Pride will dig your heels in and say, I am right, you are wrong, and you exist like that. And sadly, many Christians are walking around in fractured relationships with other believers, and it's an issue of pride. So the devil will use that to dis, uh, disintegrate uh, marriages. He'll use it to fracture a church. But ultimately, he will use pride in the believer to bring blemish on the name of the Lord Jesus, the humble, gentle Savior that he is. Tonight, I want us to look in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, and we're going to deal with a third uh, look into pride, and you can follow along in your outline. It's really only three things. Um, Don't be deceived by thinking that the the shortness of the outline means the shortness of the message. But we want to look tonight at the Lord's attitude and His actions against pride. 
the Lord's attitude and his actions against pride. It's very important. C.S. Lewis once said, he prayed, Lord, let me know you as you really are, not as I think you are. And it's extremely important that you and I understand pride, not from a horizontal perspective, but that we understand it from a vertical perspective. That we understand pride from heaven down. Because if you and I are going to hate this mother of all sin, and we're going to deal bad, do battle against this mother of all sin, we have to see it through the lens of God. We have to see it as He sees it. Because if we don't, you know, we will give ourselves a pass on everything. I, if I'm not gauging my life by the model of the Lord Jesus, if, I, if I'm not bringing my life in face-to-face with the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, I will find myself in a comparison mode with other Christians. And without question, if I'm going to compare myself to another Christian, I'm going to look at one that's not nearly doing as good as I am. I'm going to look at someone that's struggling. And so the only possible way to get the right perspective on sin and the right perspective in particular on pride is we've got to see it from God's vantage point. And we want to look at three things about the attitude and actions that the Lord has against this mother of all sin. Then, Lord willing, next week, I want us to look at the consequences of pride. What happens in the life of a person, even a believer, if pride goes unchecked? If pride is allowed to simmer within. And by the way, pride is like Joseph's coat of many colors. It has so many different manifestations. Unforgiveness is pride. You know, looking down on another person is pride. It has so many different shades. And so we need to look at what the consequences will be in our life if we allow pride to go unchecked. But that's for another time. Tonight we want to look at three things about the Lord's attitude and his actions against pride. First and foremost is that the Lord hates pride. He hates pride. Four times in the book of Proverbs, the Lord declares his hatred against pride. This is not a, a, a light, a, a light just, I, I don't like it type thing from the Lord. This is a, a very, very deep-seated hatred of this sin. In Proverbs 6.16, look what he says. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him. And the very first one is a proud look. Is a proud look. Now some scholars, and I think there's merit to this. Some uh, scholars will contrast Proverbs 6.16 through 19 with the Beatitudes. And I would encourage you to do that. Lay, Lay out all these seven sins that, that God outlines in Proverbs 6, and then go line them up with the, with the Beatitudes. It is very interesting to do that, and you do see a contrast. For instance, what is the first Beatitude? Blessed are the poor in spirit. What is that? That is humility. What is the first thing mentioned in Proverbs 6 and verse 17? It is pride. He goes further in the Beatitudes. What does he say in the Beatitudes? Uh, number 7. He says this, he says, uh, blessed are the peacemakers. What is, how does this Proverbs end in verse 19? One who sows discord. So there is merit in looking at how these characteristics in Proverbs, their antithesis or the, or the contrast occurs in the Beatitudes. And why that's very important is because the Beatitude is not a call to conduct. The Beatitudes are not what you do. The Beatitudes are the characteristics of what you are. They are the very characteristics of the born-again person. 
Yes, in the, in, the, in the basic understanding of when you first come to Christ, it's not in its full fruition, but you come to Christ how? Poor in spirit. And what do you do? You mourn over your sin. And so you see the Beatitudes then are not calls to action. They're affirmations of identity. And so if the Beatitudes then are the characteristics of God's children, then the contrast would be Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 19, and those are the characteristics of the devil's children. And the devil's children would be marked by what? Disunity, lies, wicked plans, a quickness to do evil, shedding innocent blood, haunty eyes. All those characteristics we find would be in the father of lies. And so we see then there's a reason why God would hate this sin with, with, such, with, 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 with such depth. And if you look in verse uh, 16, you will see two words that Solomon uses to describe the Lord's attitude towards these sins. Now, this, is, this applies to all of them, for sure, but the one we're dealing with is the very first one. There's an order for reason. Because as I mentioned earlier, pride is the mother of all sin. Whereas in the contrast is humility. Humility is the chief virtue. Now, you can't... Don't think that the first and chief virtue in the Christian life is love. It's not. Now, it's, it is what we are to be, controlled by Christ's love. But the chief virtue is humility. The chief virtue is, is, is humility because in the fertile soil of humility is how and where the fruit of the Spirit grows. If there's no humility, there's no love. If there's no humility, there is no peace. And so the chief virtue that you and I are to pursue, and by the way, it's the chief virtue that God will develop in his children, is humility. And we're going to look at humility in Proverbs after we're done with pride. After we've been just absolutely blistered by pride, we're going to go back and look at humility. And it's a good work. And so when you look at the contrast in, in the Beatitudes and the contrast in Proverbs, you see that pride is on the side of the devil, as we mentioned last week, and humility is on the side of the Lord. And it says in verse 16, there's two things that the Lord's attitude is towards pride. Number one, he hates it. He hates it. That word means to have intense aversion. It means an unwillingness to put up with it. It means you're my enemy. That's how God sees pride. God says that I have intense aversion against it. I am unwilling to put up with it. And then he says an abomination just to re-emphasize or even go deeper in our understanding of the Lord's attitude towards pride. He says I not only have an intense aversion to it, is that I look at it as an abomination which means something that causes great disgust, something that causes great horror, and, and, and a boring of something, a loathing of something. And so the question is, why is God, in the midst of all the sins that we commit, and this list of seven, and pride being the first one listed, why does he have such aversion to pride? Why is it such a loathing of this sin that causes divine disgust. And the reason why is because it is a direct affront against him. A Puritan named Richard Mayo preached a sermon on pride and humility. This is what he said, quote, This is the devilish nature of pride, that whereas other sins are against God's laws, this sin is against his sovereignty and his being. 
Other sins are a turning from God. Pride is a turning upon and against God. That's the difference. I can break his laws, but when I allow pride to fester and pride to rule, then I'm shaking my fist into his sovereignty. Is that I am rebelling to the, to the ultimate of rebellion by looking at him and often like the devil saying, I will, I will. Now there's a practical application in this first one in God hating sin. And I proposed the application in two ways, two questions to each of us. The first one is this. Do you and I see the sin of pride the way that God sees it? Do you and I see the sin of pride the way that God sees it? Is there this aversion and absolute disgust by this invader into your soul. When you were saved and you became a Christian, the, the Spirit of God implanted within you the seedling, so to speak, of the fruit of the Spirit. As a Christian, you will be constantly drawn by the Spirit of God to the Spirit of humility because you have to have that to grow. And so, if we're going to grow, then we must hate the very thing that would stunt or even stop growth. And so the question is, the Lord says, I hate pride. I loathe it. It is disgusting. It's an abomination. The question for his child tonight is this. Do I hate my pride? Do I loathe my pride? Do I see it with such disgust that I'll do battle against it? And the the second question, if we're going to ask ourselves, do I hate sin the way God does? And the, and the question is this, are, are we getting, as I mentioned this morning, are we getting so close to the heart of Christ that that work of hatred is able to, to, to be undertaken? You will not hate pride on your own. You will not. That's part of your fallen nature. You will not hate it. In fact, is you will feed it. I'll give you an example. Ever been offended by someone and you didn't do anything wrong? How did you feel? I'm right. I'm, taking, I'm, I'm, I'm digging my heels in. I didn't do anything wrong. That's pride. And, that's, and you feed that by not seeking reconciliation. And so the question then has to be, am I so close to the heart of Christ that I'm starting to see pride the way that he sees pride? And that leads to the second thing about pride. Not only does the Lord hate it and challenges you and I tonight to hate it as he hates it. And by the way, beloved, if you and I are not learning to hate pride, we will not fight against pride. If you and I are not, if you and I are not having this, this utter distaste for it, and if you don't see pride in your life as an invader to your soul, an unwelcome guest in your heart, you won't do battle against it. And I know too many fractured marriages, too many fractured Christian relationships, too many friendships have been fractured, and it all boils down to digging into the heels saying, I will not. I will not seek reconciliation even if I've been wronged. I will not wash your feet even though you're a Judas. I will not do anything that would create peace because I'm not the offender. Beloved, we're all offenders. We are all offenders. We've offended a holy God, and even as his children, we still 
offend a holy God. And oh, but for the grace of God and the mercy of Jesus Christ as our high priest, pride would destroy us. Pride would absolutely destroy us. And so then we must ask the question, am I getting so close to the Lord Jesus? Am I daily seeking him? Am I daily setting at his feet like a Mary? Am I daily like the Apostle Paul? One thing I do. Am I getting so close to Christ that his attitude towards pride is starting to become my attitude towards pride? If you try to defeat it on your own, you will create a Pharisee in your life. The only possible way that you and I will do battle against pride is we must be so close to the humble Jesus. And we must be so close to him that we are beholding his glory and being transformed into the same image. Number two. Here's the second attitude that the Lord has towards pride. Not only does he hate it with intense aversion. And by the way, as we mentioned this morning, talk about uh, building the defense of our faith. Do you know one of the most attractive traits in a Christian in the world today? It is your humility. Because the world knows nothing about that. I mean, I, I grew up in the Navy. You know that. I spent 24 years in the Navy. You know, I only, I've only had really three lives. A kid in West Virginia, the Navy, and here. That's all I've had. I know it's a pretty sheltered life. But I can tell you right now that we live in a society, and I worked in an organization that fuels pride. Now, there are good, there are good measurements, and you've got to be guarded with that. I understand. I, mean, I, I was proud to serve my country, and, I, and, and that's fine. But there is something in, in, our, in our fallen world that fuels pride. And if you want to stick out in the workplace, and you want to have a, a, a proper testimony of the Lord Jesus, then cultivate humility cultivate Christ-like meekness, Christ-like gentleness, because you know what will happen. You will shine like a light in a very dark place. More on that when we get to humility. But number two, not only does the Lord hate pride, the Lord declares pride his enemy. He declares pride his enemy. There are two verses, I'll read them to you for the sake of time. There's two verses in the New Testament that clearly defined or clearly describe for us that God declares pride his enemy. And by the way, he also looks at that in the life of his children. Now, don't misunderstand me. God will never look at you and never disown you. But even as a believer, he will come up, come up on you like an enemy. That doesn't mean he is your enemy. But you will have the overwhelming sense of his displeasure that he'll come to you like an enemy if indeed you're allowing pride to dig, in, dig yourself into a deep hole. James 4, 6 says, but he gives more grace, therefore it says God opposes or resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now in our journey through 1 Peter on Sunday mornings, we're eventually going to get to chapter 5, and we're going to deal with this pride thing again. But 1 Peter 5, 5 says this, likewise you who are younger... Be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The word opposes is a military term. It means to go to battle. It means to resist. It is a term used of armies that are ranging against each other. It literally means that God sets himself against And so God looks at the proud and he says, you're my declared enemy. 
You are my declared enemy. I am hostile against you. And if you, if you would do the verb work in James 4, 6 and 1 Peter 5, 5, the verb is a present tense indicative. It means it has a continual active work that knows no completion. So what does that say? It means that God will never stop opposing the proud. He will never cease his warfare against the proud. And one of the things that you and I must understand is that he will go to war against his children, against pride. It doesn't mean he loves you less, not at all. It means he attacks your pride and he declares you, your pride is an enemy to him because he loves you. Not because he doesn't love you, it's because he loves you. God knows the devastation that pride does to people. It created the devil. It ruined humanity. It continues to ruin humanity. Pride will wound many and it will destroy many. And God is so opposed to it that he calls it his enemy. And when he looks at his children, if you and I are allowing pride, he will attack that as an enemy. And you will know, you will know the pain of chastisement. You will know the pain of suffering. You will know, and if you sit down and get alone with him and say, search my heart, God, and if there's pockets of pride in your relationships, if there's pockets of pride in your material things, whatever area it is, if you get alone with God, he loves you so much, he's going to show you where pride is entrenched in your life. He's going to reveal it to you so that he can attack it and so that you can fight it and so that you can be free from its chains. Pride is so devastating. Pride is so deadening to the soul. Pride will put people in hell because pride is a resistance towards God. And so then we have, number one, the Lord's attitude towards pride is he hates it. Number two, the Lord declares pride at his enemy. And finally, the Lord attacks pride. He attacks it. Look at Proverbs chapter 15, verse 25. There was, a, uh, there was a young minister named Henry Smith. He was a 16th century, very influential English Puritan. He preached a sermon on God opposing the proud. And this is what he said about God's actions against pride. This is really, really good, so just bear with me. It's, it's a little lengthy, but it's worth, it's worth the hearing. This is what Smith preached. This is how he preached a, a God, God's action against pride. It says, God was angry with Adam and threw him out of paradise. God was angry with Nebuchadnezzar and turned him out of his palace. God was angry with Cain, and though he were the first man born of a woman, yet God made him a vagabond. God was angry with Saul, and though he was the first king that was ever anointed, God made him his own, his own hand, his executioner. God went on and on and said, the, the, the preacher went on and said that God was so angry at sin, at the sin of pride, that he will, do, he will spare no, no pain in regards to eradicating it. And someday when he comes back and he makes all things right, what will be noticeably absent in the new heavens and in the earth, there will be no prideful people. There will be no pride. Proverbs 15, 25. I want us to look at two direct warfare acts 
that the Lord will do against the pride. And, and, and he does this against his children too. And it's because he loves you. And I'm fearful that there's a lot of Christians who are not walking in joy and not walking in peace because they're entrenched in pride and they're, they're, they're actually in rebellion against their Creator, Savior. You will not enjoy Jesus Christ unless you're on the path of humility. You will not enjoy fellowship with the living God unless you're on the path of brokenness. Last Sunday night, I gave you a handout. That was pretty brutal, wasn't it? You know, it was pretty, it was pretty intense. You know, the, this is what a proud person is. This is what a broken person is. I, there may be some back there. If you want them, just contact the office. But they're very, very good. Is it, if you want to enjoy fellowship with the living God, then you must pursue the path of humility. Proud people won't enjoy God. You can know a lot about God, and you can know a lot about Jesus, and you can do a lot of service for Jesus, but you'll never enjoy Jesus if you're full of pride. Pride makes God oppose you. Pride makes, pride makes God view us as an enemy. Now, how does he attack pride? Proverbs 15, 25. It says, the Lord tears down or destroys the house of the proud. That's a strong word. This is not just a strategic strike to inflict some damage. That's not what he's doing. The Lord goes in for the kill in regards to pride. It says he'll tear down the house. He will utter destroy the house. And why? Because the gateway to salvation is through the destruction of your pride. In, the, in Mary's Magnificent, in Luke chapter 1, this is her wonderful song, and she says this. He has shown, the Lord has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. No one gets saved unless their pride is, their pride is attacked. Because salvation is what? Of the Lord. And the only possible way a sinner can be saved is by the sovereign grace of God that comes down and humbles the sinner. And shows the sinner that unless there's a Savior, the sinner is undone. And so he attacks, he attacks pride out of his love for sinners. The Lord tears down or destroys the house of the proud. People do not come to Jesus Christ because of intellectual hang-ups. People don't come to Jesus Christ because they're struggling with intellectual hang-ups. I know there's some occasions of that. People don't come to Jesus Christ because it's a moral issue. It's a moral issue of pride. Is it with inside of us, not only is there a glory hound, inside of us is the seed of self-righteousness. Inside of us is, is saying... I got to do something. Wait a minute. You're telling me that Jesus did it all and I don't... No, no. I, I got to do something. That's pride. And so pride, God attacks that where he says, you can't not only do, do nothing, you can't even desire me. You, you have no inklings towards me at all. And, and, and Romans tells us very clear, no one seeks after God, no one. You come to God because God first came to you. And that humbles man. Because you got nothing to do with it. You and I, we add nothing to this. 
And so he'll tear down the house out of his love for sinners to bring them to his son. Now look at Proverbs 16, 5. We have seven minutes and I got 35 minutes of material, so we're pretty good. So I'm just kidding you. Proverbs 16, 5. Everyone who is arrogant in heart or proud is an abomination to the Lord. Now note the words there. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Be assured he will not go unpunished. The words be assured there is to, is to place the strong emphasis that God will deal with our pride. One translation reads, the Lord's loathing is every proud person, be sure of it, he will not go scot-free. Now I liken this to our lives as Christians. God wants to use every one of you for his glory and for the furtherance of the gospel. But you know what he has to do in order to do that? He's got to get us out of the way. He's got to break the vessel before he uses the vessel. He's got to break the vessel before he uses the vessel. God will not share his glory. And if he's going to use you for the gospel, he's going to empty you of yourself first so that when you are used, you're going to say, not unto me, not unto me, and really mean it, but unto you be glory. We move in. I want you to look at... um, This is the last scripture of the night. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Here's a New Testament example. This morning we looked at the Apostle Paul as a classic example or model on how to prevent, how to uh, uh, defend the gospel, how to give a public testimony. Those those six things we learned from his encounter with King Agrippa. Paul is also a wonderful example of how the Lord will deal with pride in his children. You know this passage very well, 2 Corinthians 12. Beginning in verse 1. We're not going to expound this. I just want to make a couple comments about this. God wants to use us. He doesn't have to. But he gives us the privilege to be the vehicles in which the gospel spreads. But in order for to do that, he has to deal with our pride. And I believe that the level of our influence is directly proportionate to the level of our breaking. The level of our influence is directly proportionate to the level of our breaking. 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on the visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weakness. As I read that, I kept saying, Paul, tell me who it is. Give me the name. Tell me who it is. It's him. And this is a, this is a manifestation of pride, very subtle. When you're in fellowship with Christians and you talk more about yourself, and more about your experience, and more about how God's using you, you may be well-intended, but that's a pride issue. Paul would not even recognize that he was taken to the third heaven. Can you imagine being in a Bible study with Paul? We're all sitting around there, and we're reading the scripture or something, and said, hey, Paul, uh, what have you learned from the Lord lately? He said, well, I was in heaven last week. I walked around with Jesus, talked to some guys, Listen to some angels. 
That's what happened to me. What about you, Jim? He didn't even bring up his experiences. I'm not saying don't share your experiences. We should encourage one another. But make sure your experiences are not full of I, me, my, and mine. Make sure they're full of him, Christ, Jesus, the Lord. Paul wouldn't even bring that up. Why? Because he was in the school of brokenness. Let's read on. So, uh, verse 6. Though I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it. So that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. If I'm in a Bible study with Paul and he's telling me he went to heaven, I'm done. I got nothing to add. I'm overshadowed. I'm intimidated by this man. Beloved, we should never be Christians that in fellowship with one another that we intimidate other people by our spiritual experience. I am so impressed with the Apostle Paul. He would write letters to young Christians. And he would thank them. And he would affirm them. Here's the stalwart of Christianity. Here's the, the Christian of all Christians. And yet he looked at these young believers in Philippi, in Thessalonica, and he affirmed them, and he built them up. He even said, I need you. Don't be a Christian that is so full of pride that you just got to speak about your experience, that you've got to share this. Again, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But when the Spirit of God prompts us to share, it will never be about ourselves. It will be about Christ. It'll be about Jesus. And you can see the difference. Let's go on. He says, so, he says all these things that he didn't do. And then he says, don't think that I'm some self-controlled great guy and I've suppressed my pride. He's going to tell us how it happened. So to keep me from becoming conceited or exalted out of measure, being proud, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited or proud. Now, the, the, the phrase here, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, don't think that's a little tiny thing that you find on a rose uh, plant or maybe a little sticker that you get as you're walking through the woods. No, that thorn was a stake in which they impelled people. It was a stake. This wasn't a small inconvenience in Paul's life that you put a Band-Aid on. He was impaled. And then it says there that there was a messenger of Satan. Now, there's, there's debates about what that is. All I know is that the word messenger, the literal language, is angelos. And it means just that, a messenger. Angelos is angel. It's possible that God assigned a demon to the apostle Paul. It's possible that he signed a fallen angelos to harass him and to keep him dependent upon God. Again, that's, there, there's other things. They, some people think it was his poor eyesight. There's all kinds of conjecture. I don't think it's safe to go there. I think what's important is to see that God so loved this man so much and wanted to use this man so much that he gave him a painful experience of some kind to keep his pride down and to keep him trusting in God alone. And here's, the, here, here's, the, here, here's one of the key points, too. He asked for it to be removed. Have you ever asked God, say, Lord, please remove this from me. Remove this trial. Remove this pain. Remove this situation. Please remove this. I'll be able to serve you better. 
I, I, I'll be better. I, I'll, I'll be able to serve you more. I'll be able to, if, if this is just removed. When the Apostle Paul, and he says, I prayed three times, I, I don't believe that means he prayed three times and he was done. I believe he had many nights of agony over this. Many sleepless nights, he says in his letter to Corinthians. That sleepless nights wasn't just because he had insomnia. He was doing warfare with God. And I think part of it was, Lord, take this away. Remove this from me. And God says, no. And so the lesson for you and I, and we'll wind this down. The lesson for you and I, God will attack your pride. Because it's your, it's, it's your enemy. It's his enemy. And he may attack your pride by giving you something that causes you a lot of pain and causes you a lot of suffering and causes you a lot of agony. That's not contrary to the joy of the Lord at all. He may give that to you because he loves you and he knows that's what's going to keep you like super glued to him. He knows that that thorn in the flesh that you have, it's designed to keep you tethered to the cross. It's designed to keep you so close to Christ because you know in and of yourself you can't handle this. And that will produce what? Humility. And from humility comes the fruit of the Spirit. So God's attitude towards sin, the sin of pride, He hates it. He loathes it. It's an abomination. Do you and I? Perhaps we start even tonight asking the Lord, give me a hatred for that invader in my soul. Give me a hatred for pride. Number two. Number two. God opposes pride. He opposes pride. Are you and I opposing it? Do we see it for what it is? And we begin to, to, to oppose it? And finally, are we attacking it every day? When a little bit of pride starts to creep in there, are we immediately severing that snake at its head? Are we running to the feet of the humble Jesus? Are we accepting his sovereign will that he might have a thorn in our flesh that is causing us to, to fight against pride? Those are questions we must ask because if you and I don't see pride the way God sees pride, we'll never do battle against it. And if we don't do battle with, uh, against it, and I'll close with this, one of the Puritans, there's a book out there, it's, it's in print, True Love to the Unseen Christ, must read. That's one of my top five books all time. True Love to the Unseen Christ. I can, I can tell you where to get it if you want to. Anyway, it's not a big book, about 120 pages, but it is a powerful book. You know, and Vincent, the, the Puritan, he wrote it. And he says that Christians can have a carcass experience. He says we can have all the trappings of being a Christian, but lack the inward reality of being a Christian. And that's what pride will do. Pride will allow you to have all the external looking as a Christian, but it will not allow you to have the inward reality of Christ being a Christian. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to look at the, uh, the consequences of pride. What will pride do if we allow it to go unchecked? Proverbs has things to say, just how devastating and what it causes in our lives if we don't do battle against it. May God help us to have the same attitude he does. May we oppose pride, and then may we attack it with vengeance, even submitting to the thorn in the flesh that he may be giving us to keep pride suppressed. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love, and thank you that you do a good work of attacking the mother of all sin in our lives. Thank you that you've shown us that and brought us to Christ. And Lord, as you continue the work in us to remove pride, help us to be submissive. Help us to hate it like you hate it. Help us to oppose it like you oppose it. And help us to attack it as we submit to you and your work in us to remove it. Thank you, Father, for your goodness tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.